We've got a busy, busy Monday show for you today, and we're glad that you're with us. Now that Teddy Bridgewater is the Carolina Panthers quarterback, it's about time we dispel some of the negative narratives that have followed him. He's dealt with misperceptions pretty much his entire career. I remember during the draft process, some analysts, they were just lazy, not watching Louisville football, tagging him as an athletic quarterback. You know that label they give to every single black quarterback, regardless if you're an athlete? Then they crushed him when he wasn't that, and others doubted him because of the gloves he wore and his hand size. However, these are the three biggest criticisms of Teddy that I just flat out reject. Number one, that he can't throw the deep ball. This is based on advanced analytics, average yards, through the air per throw. I think they just call it air yards. Teddy didn't have a lot of that. To that, I say, who really cares? Tom Brady never threw a beautiful deep ball. Not known for his arm strength whatsoever. Peyton Manning threw ducks his entire career. Also, I'm convinced in the five games Teddy played last year, the reason he didn't throw the deep ball is more about scheme than it was lack of arm strength. Drew Brees, after all, only threw the ball 30-plus yards through the air six times a year ago. So it might have been more about Sean Payton and what the Saints do than Teddy. Because if you go back to 2015, before Teddy had the knee injury in 16, the Vikings, they were a playoff team. Teddy... He was awesome throwing the deep ball. You look at some of those numbers. Those advanced analytic sites, they gave him a B and a B plus as an accurate deep ball thrower. When you look at just last year, six of the nine throws he had 20 yards or further were on target. Seemed to be accurate throws. Meanwhile, Kyle Allen was dead last in deep ball accuracy last year. I don't know why I just did a drive-by on Kyle Allen, but I just figured I should mention that. You could tweet the show at SportsUpDryad if you'd like. If you have thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater or anything else going on in the sports world, including what's happening in Talladega right now with Bubba Wallace, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, 336-777-1600 is the number. Second negative narrative that bothers me that's been attached to Teddy. Oh, he's damaged goods. He had an ACL tear in 16, as I mentioned. Dislocated knee as well. Everybody thought he was going to miss the 2017 season in addition to the 2016 season, yet he comes back in November of that year and looks pretty good. He returned when people said he wasn't going to. Then he signs with the Jets before being traded to the Saints. Really good in the five games that he played. Won all five of those. But look at quarterbacks who had... ACL injuries in their 20s. Tom Brady had one. Deshaun Watson had one. Donovan McNabb had one and had Pro Bowl seasons after the fact. ACL tears, that's not a death sentence for you. And it isn't for Teddy. Which leads me to the final negative narrative I just don't want to hear. Oh, he can't be a franchise quarterback. Steve Smith even said it to Colin Cowherd. Oh, he's a right-now guy. 
he's not a guy you're going to win a Super Bowl with. Why not? Teddy is 27 years old, former first-round draft pick, in the system that Joe Brady is is bringing to Carolina 5-0 and in games a year ago. And to put in perspective, his age, Jimmy Garoppolo, who played for the best team in the NFC last year, came off an ACL tear in 2018, had not started a full NFL season. He turned 28 last year. So if Garoppolo can be seen as a franchise guy, why not Teddy? I'm not saying he's going to lead the Panthers to a Super Bowl. Not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying I'm not ruling it out. I'm not counting him out as a franchise guy. He is familiar with Joe Brady, who I think is a star. In fact, this is Brady last week talking about Teddy and the relationship that they have. Everybody that's met, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, he makes everybody better. Um, you know, he, you know, you're going to light, he lights up the room. He's intelligent. And so, um, you know, his football IQ is, is through the roof. And so, you know, when you had meetings like this, you know, we, we had a day where we had Teddy, you know, Teddy, you're running the meetings, you know, and, uh, you know, and I think that that's critical, uh, having a guy that, you know, understands a good amount of, of, you know, the system and what we're doing, um, but also has an idea of, you know, football and being able to explain it and teach it to others. And he also has a ton of weapons this year. McCaffrey, best running back for any quarterback to have. You have... Robbie Anderson, who there's a built-in relationship with dating back to their short stint together with the Jets. You have DJ Moore, who had a breakout season. Curtis Samuel, who I happen to like a lot. So there are weapons there. It's a team-friendly deal. He's only 27. You see quarterbacks playing into their 40s now. I don't think it's unrealistic for Teddy to become the franchise guy. There is... A massive story playing out in Talladega right now. Of course, stemmed to yesterday evening. The race gets called due to rain. Bubba Wallace did not see a noose hanging in his garage. Somebody in his team did. NASCAR, they put out a statement acknowledging the incident, saying that they were going to find whoever did this and eradicate them from the sport immediately, ban them for life. The FBI right now is at Talladega Super Speedway with the race restarting at 3 o'clock. And some of these images I'm seeing just incredibly moving as the entire NASCAR garage, all the teams, they are pushing and escorting Bubba Wallace's car to the front of the grid. I think terrible headlines, disgusting, gross, sad headlines can bring out a lot of good out of Americans, really just out of people in general. It can expose character. When you think about some of the national tragedies we've had in this country, 9-11, for example, you have blood banks all across America filled long lines, people just trying to help. We see that every time there's a hurricane that hits our great state. Uh, I've been inspired 
by the way NASCAR has responded to this latest incident. Among all American sports, NASCAR, I think, has become strongest because of what's happened in 2020. It's a year that's truly going to go down in the history books. But just think about how they've responded to things. They were the first American sport to return to action. Golf followed a week later. That's not a small thing. Because if you do it wrong, it can impact other sports. It can impact the perception of playing sports, running sports. They did not have any safety setbacks. I've had friends who have covered NASCAR events and have done so incredibly safety. The safety checks, it's been very well done by the sport. Then you have the introduction of midweek night races. Been discussed for years but NASCAR never pulled the trigger on it until they had to. Long overdue. Adaptability is one of the primary reasons why I'm optimistic we're going to get through this and we're going to be stronger than ever. Restaurants that had to do takeout, that didn't have that option before, uh, many of them are going to keep that option because they realize, hey, this is another steady stream of revenue coming through. I think about Chick-fil-A. Have you gone to Chick-fil-A recently, Robert, last few months? Uh, there's one near my house. I've been occasionally. Think about recently. how they've mastered the takeout or, excuse me, the drive through game, making things so efficient there. They don't need people to go inside and risk sitting indoors, potentially getting infected because they've adapted so well, and many other businesses can relate to that. NASCAR adapted, and you have midweek night races. You never thought you would see a night race at Martinsville. They pulled it off. The banning of the Confederate flag. I was conflicted. How much should I applaud NASCAR for doing something that's so clearly the right thing to do? But in my heart, I never believe it's too late to do the right thing. They did it, and they enforced it at Homestead. Albeit, you're only talking about a 1,000 fans coming in. They enforced it yesterday with the exception of of some idiot flying a plane over Talladega Super Speedway that said defund NASCAR on it, but that's something you can deal with. They've dealt with the flack from the few to do the right thing. Having Richard Petty's number 43, driven by Bubba Wallace, not a blue car, but for a week, a black painted car that has Black Lives Matter written on the side. Here's the thing. Last night... That announcement by NASCAR, that statement that was pushed by uh, the, Fel the President Phelps, I feel previous regimes at NASCAR try to handle that internally. All right, we're going to deal with this. We don't want it to get out because that can further a narrative about our sport that we don't want to perpetuate. Phelps didn't ignore it. They were transparent. I don't think they really had a choice in today's climate, but I applaud the way they've put it out there, the availability of Phelps, and the way that NASCAR has stood behind one of their own. It's really inspiring. A terrible thing, of course, but good things have come from it in the last 18 hours. Coming up, why patience 
Could you oh, have a lot of Alright, whenever you're ready. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Such a powerful image before the restart of the race in Talladega. You got the king, Richard Petty, wearing a mask underneath his cowboy hat, giving his driver, who is driving the number 43, of course, Bubba Wallace, a big hug. Uh, I think I can reiterate what a lot of people watching are feeling right now. Let's hope the 43 gets the victory lane today. What do you say? That would be a really neat deal if it were to happen uh, at Talladega. At the restart, Martin Truex Jr. is in first place. I'm seeing also a bunch of weather reports that suggest that there might be some storms that prevent for this race being able to finish. But we're in good shape right now. And we also heard from the president of NASCAR earlier today who said that the FBI is on the racetrack and they're investigating the case. Once they figure out who put a noose in uh, Bubba's garage, they're going to eradicate that person from the sport. He's going to be banned for life, as he should be. Because I think in sports, things kind of get blinded at times. Where if you play football and you do, say, what Mel Blunt used to do back in the day or what Ed Reed was known to do, you take off somebody's head, but it's in the middle of the street rather than a football field, then you might be going to jail for that. We don't really connect things that happen in sports to actual criminal offenses because we think uh, we view sports as an escape. We view sports as entertainment, and usually there's not overlap on the premises of some of these sports that we love. But in this case, this is a hate crime, and... If if they find this person, or I'll say it more optimistically, uh, I'll speak it into action, <laughs> speak it into existence. If or when they find who did this, I strongly believe that th- that person's going to end up in jail. You're not just talking about, hey, you're kicked out of the sport. No, you're going to be behind bars as well. This isn't a freedom of speech deal. This is intimidation. This is a crime, a hate crime. And I strongly believe that this is where we're headed. Only so many people can get into the garages. The actual racers can't even go into the garage for safety measures. Bubba didn't see it. So how many people did have access? There's strong security. NASCAR's done a really good job. You're talking about crews being with, uh, withered down to about a third of their capacity size Before the pandemic took place. So there's only so many people. And according to NASCAR again. They have a list of suspects. That they believe. Were involved with this. Or potentially could have been involved with this. They're going to figure it out. And whatever SOB ended up doing this. They're going to be kicked out of the sport. And I think they're going to be behind bars. We're going to catch up with Bill Voth. In just a bit. Panthers.com. I always appreciate Bill for his honesty. He's covered the team in many different uh, capacities. He's covered the team independently in print. 
and television and and now he's on the inside with the team controlling a lot of their digital content. You should shoot him a follow at Panthers Bill. He has good perspective. He has good access. But more than that, he's always a guy who shoots us straight. Um, that's the thing I appreciate uh, about uh, Bill Voth, who, again, is at Panthers Bill. I want to start. I want to talk to him about Teddy Bridgewater. I want to talk to him about Cam Newton as well. Those are some of the things uh, we're going to get to with Bill Voth when he drops by in just a few minutes. In addition to the Panthers-related matters that I want to get to, Joe Brady, I believe him to be a star before he even stepped in Charlotte. I believe him to be somebody that probably is going to have a shorter tenure with Carolina than some might think. A lot to do with Bill Voth, who's now with us. So here's my working theory on the Panthers' free agency at quarterback. Matt Rooley had the comments on Cam where he said he expected to coach Cam, and then people used those words against him when they moved off of him in favor of Teddy Bridgewater. I believe, based on some of the comments I've read from Joe Brady and Matt Rule, that they thought, 27 years old, Teddy Bridgewater, he was going to want to be a starter somewhere. He could get a long-term deal, probably going to be between 25 maybe even $30 million, because that's the going rate for quarterbacks. Maybe they believed that Teddy wasn't even affordable. Not somebody they could convince to be their guy right now. Uh, is this possible? That back in February or March, they didn't think they could even get Teddy to Charlotte. Wow. It's it's um, April, May, June. Three months, and someone's figured it out. Good job, Josh. And I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that if you read the tea leaves that some people have dropped, um, yes, they, they were planning to go into the offseason with Cam, but they were looking at another option. And if that other option was available, they were going to uh, go with that door. And that option was available. Did they... So if they couldn't get that option, then what were they going to do? But go with, with just, just Will Greer and like, what would you have done with Cam? So, yeah, so, so it was either going to be, in my perspective, it was either going to be Cam or Teddy. And they were able to get Teddy, which whether you think it was a right decision or wrong decision or how they went about it is right or wrong, um, that's a decision that they made. I don't buy a lot of the negative, uh, I hate to use the word narrative because a lot of people use that word all over the place nowadays, but I'll use it anyway negative narratives following Teddy, which, I mean, if you just go through them, oh, he can't throw the deep ball, he's damaged goods, he can't be a franchise quarterback. I think Steve Smith even said he's a right-now guy. Uh, which of these bothers you, if any of them? None of them. I think they're all fair. Until, I mean, the guy started five games as a backup last year, went 5-0, and of course, but... I mean, I think he needs just a bigger sample size. So I'm not saying all those things are true, but I'm also not saying, oh, my God, I can't believe people are saying that about him. Like, the guy hasn't started since he suffered, hasn't been a full-time starter 
since he suffered a what was supposed to be or what many thought could be a career-ending injury. So I think you just you need a bigger sample size before you really know what you got here. And I think you look at the contract itself, and the contract ex- itself, it you can see that the Panthers are giving themselves options. If Teddy goes out and is a awesome starter next year, well, then they can maybe extend that contract and make that contract a little bit more favorable for Teddy. If he doesn't, and he's those things you said he was, then, well, they're really not tied into him for all that long, and here's this guy who they know they can depend on because those guys have worked with him before. Um, they know that he's a really good locker room guy and all these intangible things that people can roll their eyes at, but who, um, you know, head coaches who want to establish a culture actually really do care about. Um, and so they've got him on board for at least two years. So um, I think the Panthers saw it as um, a, a, it's not too much risk in it, um, potentially some reward, um, and we'll see what happens in two or three years. It's Bill Voth with us here. He's on Twitter at PanthersBill from Panthers.com. I think Joe Brady is a star. I really do because I follow college football closely and – LSU was always known for having a ton of talent that nobody seemed to be able to maximize anemic offenses despite the fact you got Odell and Jarvis Landry lined up out wide just trying to win football games till 9-6 to six, until Brady arrived and made Joe Burrow a six-round grade quarterback to the first overall pick and maybe the most successful season we've seen in college. Uh, behind the scenes, what has immediately stood out to you about what Carolina's getting in Brady? Well, let's be fair. I'm about behind the scenes as you are over the last few months. Sure. <laughs> so, um, it, it, this has not been the most uh, normal offseason. Um, I'm more intrigued because I still think, I think the book's still out on, on Brady, and there's still that stuff last year. Well, he only really called plays in the red zone or this and that. Um, so, has he been a full time play caller and stuff? So, I, I still think. Again, that's, that's a small sample size. Is it as is it, is it intriguing as hell? Of course, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I just, I'm excited to have a potentially more dynamic offense around here, which has not been the case since I've covered the team since 2005. Um, I mean, you had those years with Chudzinski where they'd throw the ball a lot, but it was, it was mind-numbingly just like, well, wait a second, you need to run the ball a little bit here in the second half, and then they never did, um, and they ended up losing because they couldn't run the ball in the second half. So I'm, I'm excited for Brady to bring in what has at its core New Orleans um, themes to it. Um, clearly, uh, the Saints are an intriguing team to watch. You can say, well, Teddy's not Drew Brees and, um, and some other things about it's, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. I'm just excited to see something which should be different around here for the first time in a long time. I want to wrap up where we started, and that's with quarterbacks and even with Cam Newton because I do think he's going to get signed. I even think he's going to have options over the next month or so. I also think Kaepernick's going to sign because unlike last year where only 11 or 12 teams carried three quarterbacks, I think – much like radio, football, hey, it's a copycat league at times. People tend to follow some of the best in the industry. Howie Roseman's very respected with the Eagles, and he said they picked Jalen Hurts at least in part because they want to have three quarterbacks this year in case someone gets infected with the coronavirus. Do you expect most teams to carry three quarterbacks this year? Oh, yeah. 
Now, Cam's not a typical second or third quarterback, though. So that's what makes him a little bit different. Because when you bring Cam in, and this is unfair, I get it, in many ways it's unfair, but when you bring Cam in, it puts so much pressure on on that starter. It All eyes are, okay, when does, what, what, does, what, what happens when this guy slips up and all this other stuff? Like, so a lot of coaches are hesitant to do that, I would imagine, right now, is because, well, well, how's our how's our starter going to react? And again, is that fair to Cam? No, like, it, it, of course not. But there is that um, that there is that mentality in the NFL where coaches are scared of bringing in someone who would draw so much of a spotlight, like Cam, who would who becomes this this who becomes this quote unquote distraction to no fault of his own but who would be a distraction because the media would be asking about Cam and fans would be asking about Cam all the time uh, until he, he, he gets in a game. When I think about Fitz, a name that's not being thrown around enough that I like, I really like Tennessee because Cam, he might want to go to a place power run with Derrick Henry, a coach that's willing to move off of their starter if the second guy is indeed better and beats them out. We saw that with Tannehill and Mariota. Last year, uh, I also just think Mike Vrabel's a really good coach who thinks outside the box a little bit. Now that you've had more time to think about it, is there a place that you like as a fit for Cam Newton? Not necessarily, but I just—I mean, if, I, if I'm the Chargers, I mean, I'm sure they have their own reasons. I—I—I I, I have no educated guesses why they did not go after him. I'm sure they had reasons, but like, you need to sell tickets. You need to draw some interest towards your franchise roll the dice with this guy. Um, so to me, it's just the Chargers, um, and now with Justin Herbert, it's not as much of a fit. But like before that, and maybe that's why they didn't do it, because they knew they were going to go quarterback in the draft, and they'd rather take a chance on some young guy as opposed to some 30-, 31-year-old um, quarterback who hasn't played that much over the past two, three years. Um, so two years, I guess, to be fair. Um, so I think, I think uh, yeah, the Chargers one will always – will always scratch my head. As now, I think, yeah, I think this is what sounds so ridiculous, right? Maybe the, the Titans are, like, how would Tannehill handle that? At the end of the day, he's still just Ryan Tannehill. Like, he's not, right? Like, a year ago, he was just some backup, and he really is still just kind of a backup who's really a starter. So I agree to your point. Like, why not enhance that a little bit more and then have a, a 1B to come in, whereas if your 1A fails, it's not the end of the world. Bill, it's good to hear your voice, man. I hope you're staying safe in the Queen City. Hopefully, you know, we get some good news in the next few weeks and you guys are all going to be able to move back into the office. Thanks for doing this. Can I explain why my phone kept going to voicemail? Oh, so we we were going to catch you about 10 minutes ago and, and Bill, he, he has an explanation for us. What's going on? Yeah, so, okay, so Apple has this lovely thing where you can – you can put in it's it, it'll automatically send unknown numbers to voicemail <laughs> and in this i'm not sure if you know this is an election season so the spam calls have really ramped up over the last few weeks so i've been using a handy tool so when you guys are calling me today they thought you were you were um, probably stumping for a vote uh, that's fantastic uh bill thanks for the time man it's appreciated uh, see you guys there he goes he's on twitter at panthers bill i, I appreciate the explanation on the back end. That's more for Robert than it is for me. Cause I'm doing I'm doing a ton of things over here trying to stay focused. Meanwhile, Robert is throwing chairs. And, you know, I'm not sure if we're gonna be able to replace that computer and desktop that Robert threw across the room because Bill wasn't picking up his phone.
It's not him that bothers me. I understand stuff happens. It's the big guests that I know that you're going to want me to isolate. And then when they don't come in at a perfect time, I have to edit the audio so it sounds oh. like, oh, they came in perfectly. You're, you're still going to have to edit that, my friend. Uh, damn it. Yeah, I'm sorry. There was NBA news yesterday that I didn't think got a lot of run, but makes me believe a non-contender this year is going to be a favorite next season. That's next on The Drive. Get it? Well, that's not funny. Back to The Drive. That's moronic. With Josh Graham. Amid the pandemic and social justice headlines over the weekend, this bit of NBA news got lost in the shuffle, I think. Clay Thompson has been cleared to train without restriction after tearing his knee up in the finals last year. I think if he's back and healthy for next season, Golden State is going to be back. In fact, I'd be surprised if they aren't the favorite to win the finals in 2021. Usually the team that has the best players win. Not a hot take. But sometimes you get overrun because there's teams with two or three guys and even though one of those three might not be better than your top guy, the top trio reigns supreme. That's what's happened to LeBron James when he ran it to Golden State the handful of times he did, other than 2016, of course. Curry, Clay, and Draymond are still the best trio in the NBA. You can add Andrew Wiggins into that, too, if you please. I, I like Wiggins. I haven't given up on him at all. But what trio would you put over... Curry, Clay, and Draymond. The Lakers, they have AD, LeBron, and Kyle Kuzma. The Clippers have Kawhi and Paul George. Then it's Lou Williams coming off the bench. Boston, they had a pretty good trio. Tatum, Kemba, and Jalen Brown. But give me Curry, Clay, and Draymond over those three. So I think you're getting the best trio with Golden State. Bob Myers is one of the best GMs in basketball, doesn't get the credit because, oh, you landed Kevin Durant, you have one of the best teams, you had all these players. Executives don't nearly get their due in the NBA, and that's just fine. But he's always been a step ahead. They're winning in the early 2010s, I think is what they're calling it. And he saw upside moving off of Mark Jackson in favor of Steve Kerr. Then they win the titles. They won 73 games. Decided, eh, we could still get better. Let's add Kevin Durant to the mix. When they lost KD last summer and knew they were going to be without Clay for the season, they added D'Angelo Russell. Some criticized it. How's that going to work with Curry in the backcourt? How's it going to work with Clay Thompson? It was clear Myers just wanted to add a body that if it works, It's great. If it doesn't, that's still an asset you can flip to get something in return. And he did, at the trade deadline, bringing back Wiggins. So that's a plus, and that's a huge accomplishment and achievement for Myers. I think it makes this Warriors team better for 2021. Plus, they had the worst record in the NBA before things got halted. So they have the best odds to get the number one pick. I think the guy to circle is Anthony Edwards from Georgia. There's some discussion. 
hey, is LaMelo Ball the best prospect in this draft? Is it James Wiseman, the only seven-footer that's expected to go in the lottery? I think Edwards is the player that gives them some scoring punch at shooting guard and small forward. Because, eh, bringing in LaMelo Ball when you have Steph Curry doesn't make a lot of sense. James Wiseman, while that might be an upgrade over Kavon Looney playing at the five, I I don't think that's going to be a transcendent superstar type. Edwards is the only player that has that type of potential. Golden State's in a rare spot where they can roll the dice in an attempt to continue prolonging the era of success that they've had in the last five to six years. So Golden State excites me. You got a really good draft pick that's about to come in. Wiggins working with the best trio in the NBA of Curry, Clay, and Draymond. You got a forward-thinking GM who might make another move or two to make this team better during the summer. And during this bad year, you had a chance to see other players, how they might play on the big stage, like Akai Bowman, who we got to know at Boston College. He's from Eastern North Carolina. Uh, a guy like Pascal, the former Villanova Wildcat, who I think showed a lot last year. I think he'd be a part of a seven, eight-man rotation for Golden State. So there was a lot of good to come out of this year, even though Golden State was the worst team in the league with all the injuries. Speaking of things that are good, so many negative headlines with things going on in our country and with the pandemic and Bubba Wallace in the sports world, the news and everything last night, just awful stuff. So you know what? I want to get to the positive stuff. It's time for weekly positivity. Robert, hit the soothing music. Oh, yeah. If you want to call in and tell us something good that's happened to you over the weekend, 336-777-1600. This is Weekly Positivity. Robert? Hey, Robert. What's up, dude? I went to church yesterday. That's good. I was with my parents in Youngsville, North Carolina. I saw there was a different little spin on it. Outdoor church. They moved a stage outside, and we all sat in lawn chairs. And uh, it was very hot, and I'm pasty white. And I got myself an umbrella. It was the first time I had, like, an umbrella to shield myself from the sun at a place other than the beach. Like a, just an, a regular rain umbrella? Or yes. A, was it like polka dotted? What color is this umbrella? There, it was blue and white stripes. Okay. Just bringing attention to yourself. Well, a lot of people had them as well. Is we that, weren't abnormal. Did for you doing start it. that idea or did you adopt it from those other people there? Uh, I think my parents said you're going to need an umbrella. <laughs> oh man. And they had some umbrellas too. Is this really that strange? I would not have been there, man. You could not catch me on a black top on Sunday if you paid me. Oh, we were in a grassy knoll type. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. 
What's something good that's happened to you, Robert? Uh, I didn't die this weekend. Uh, that is good. I was in a swimming pool, and I don't know if you guys ever played this game. Uh, as Sharks and minnows? No. It is, uh, you will take a pool Marco noodle. Marco Polo? No. You will take a pool noodle and fill it with water. Any more pool games you want to interrupt me with? Chicken? No. Uh, you fill the noodle up with water, underwater, and then both people will put their mouths on either side of the pool noodle. And whoever can blow the water that's inside the noodle on the other person's face uh, wins. That doesn't sound very safe. It probably wasn't safe. but So me and my brother are playing in the pool, and I don't like to lose, especially not to my brother. And I blew, and we both kept blowing, and he didn't stop. And I passed out in the pool and just blacked out right there. You do blow. I do. Webb Simpson. I'll tell you another thing that's pretty good. He won this weekend. And things got suspended. So we didn't know if they were going to get the round in. They finished up play yesterday, Robert, at 8.37 p.m. And there was still light. Isn't that good? Why can't it be this way all the time? Why can't it always be light out? until 9 o'clock at night. Isn't this like the best time of year when it's light all throughout the day? I don't know. I kind of like it when it gets dark early. That's just me. You can still do some fun stuff in the dark. What are some fun things you can do in the dark? Uh, Play manhunt, or as regular people call it, hide and seek. Um, You could still have a bonfire, still hang out outside. It's not so hot if it's dark already. I don't know. I kind of like the dark. Webb Simpson was good yesterday 22 under par to win the rbc heritage i do sound like jim nance when i'm talking in this voice hello friends this woman's voice is also killing me just giving us a nice it's quite delightful it's pretty good and that's been weekly positivity You are listening to WSGS Winston-Town, WCOG Greensboro, WPC in Burlington, WMF4 High Point. Those signals making up. Sports up, Dryant. In the last few years, Webb Simpson's gone into the Wake Forest Sports Hall of Fame. But right now, he's one of the best golfers on tour. Ninth-ranked player in the world, number one in the standings after a win in Hilton Head this weekend at the RBC Heritage. Going into the weekend, last 15 starts, he had a win, four second-place finishes, a third-place finish. We're talking about shooting 30 on the back nine to shoot 22 under par for the tournament. So calm as we've known Webb Simpson to be. Many places can claim him, Raleigh, Charlotte, But here in the triad, he is a part of the Wake Forest golf lineage, as is our next guest. Once a golfer at Wake, been the longtime Wake Forest men's golf coach, Jerry Haas, who's kind enough to join us on Sports Hub Triad. I'm interested in going back about 20 years, Coach, and appreciate the time you spending it here, and I hope you're safe. Do you remember the first time you saw Webb Simpson play? Uh, Absolutely, I do. I was... um over at Bowie's Creek, and he was actually playing with Brendan Todd, who ended up going to Georgia and uh, was a hot player at the end of last year, uh, almost went in three times in a row. So I watched Webb and um, 
I remember, I don't know if it was the sixth hole, I think it was, and he hooked it into a bunker greenside, and he had a really, really difficult stance and lie, and he couldn't really aim at the hole in a standard address position because the lip was in his way, and he would have had to get the club up pretty quickly. But I was looking at it. You could almost have one foot out of the bunker, kind of aim the club face really open, and jam jam it into this lip where it was kind of cutting in there. You kind of had to see it. But I was like, you know, if he opens this and kind of jams it in the lip, it should score dead right. And if he can carry it on the green, it'll run down there. And he hit it. He kind of looked at his first option, knew that he couldn't do anything. And he opened his stance, one foot out, opened that face up and swung against the lip. It scored a dead right, kind of landed in the fringe area and spun and ran and down to about three and a half feet. And I looked around to see if there was any other coaches that saw that, and there weren't. And I said to myself, that's my guy right there. i got to get this kid. How hard, of a, how hard of a sell is playing for this program when you consider your history in it, Curtis Strange's history in it, obviously Arnold Palmer's history in it, uh, and now even Webb Simpson's history in it. Like When you're talking to these kids, how often do those names come up? Well, they come up a lot, but, uh, you know, I've been doing this will be my 24th year coming up. And as we get older, uh, they kind of uh, the new generation wants to know about all the hot players. Now they don't remember that as much. But um, I know Sam Simpson, um, he had six children, Webb being one of them. And uh, the other five all went to Carolina. And I was lucky that Webb chose Wake to play golf. And uh it was a very hard sell. He was uh, Georgia Tech was after him. A lot of schools. He was a junior All American, and um, ended up putting him on the Arnold Palmer Scholarship. And w- what a wonderful decision that was! And what a wonderful win yesterday. Um, just a great, great human being. Yeah, besides and- being a great golf. It's Jerry Haas with us here, Wake Forest golf coach on Sports Up Dry. And as I mentioned, he's a Wake Forest Hall of Famer now. And when you're talking about being a member of this Wake golf family what does the program's historic lineage dating back to Arnold Palmer mean to you well I think it 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 goes beyond the golf I think it's uh, golf's always been a gentleman's game so they speak so they say you call your own penalties etc etc but it's just a a an individual that's out there um, playing what I feel is one of the hardest sports in the world the ball just sits there Every other sport, it's moving. We react to it. And in golf, it looks so easy. Well, how hard can it be? It's just sitting there. And besides having that talent, and you mentioned Arnold Palmer, and, you know, he was a great champion, the king, they called him. And But what I always tell people, what a great businessman he was and how successful um, his brand still is. And then Lanny Watkins was a U.S. amateur champ and a great player and Hall of Famer and once you start having success, Coach Haddock did a great job of bringing in the top talent, and obviously you start winning, and then people start looking at your university. You start getting um, great players in there, and it just goes on and on and on, and you hope uh, as the coach at this point in time that you do a good job of recruiting. Uh, I always strike to get character instead of characters, and there's a big difference. The one thing I like about Arnold Palmer and thinking back about what he's done for golf, everybody seems to have an Arnold Palmer story. Yesterday was Father's Day, and I was thinking about this a bit because it was the first Father's Day that my dad was without 
his dad and my grandfather loved golf. And I remember my dad, who's been a police officer for, for decades, I think he's about to retire. He, he ran into Arnold Palmer and just said, oh my gosh, my dad's a huge fan of yours, all this, and yada, yada, yada. And Arnold Palmer says to my dad, oh, well, call him up real quick. So they call up my grandfather and he's like, are you doing anything? No. Well, somebody wants to speak to you. And it's Arnold Palmer. And he talks to my grandfather for 15 minutes at least, uh, just about, hey, how, how do you get into golf, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll always remember that. But being as connected as you are and uh, with uh, the pro golf scene and also Wake Forest, what's the best Arnold story you could share with us? You know, kind of similar to that. We had our Wake Forest Pro-Am. Uh, he was gracious enough to come up and play. And, of course, we had to get extra security and this and that. And, you know, people pulling him this way and that. Uh, he played with the amateurs, had a lovely day, and he was leaving. Uh, I kind of walked him over to his car, and he put it in reverse, told me goodbye, and he was backing up. And some woman kind of came out of uh, behind the bushes or whatever in the parking lot there and kind of just smiled at him and held up a, a big autobiography of his would you know basically asking would you sign it and he didn't say oh i gotta go or anything he just simply put the car back in drive pulled back into his parking spot got out of the car engaged this uh, lovely lady and signed her copy of her book answered a couple questions and she was so gracious she left and then he kind of looked at me looked around and he said all right i think it's time to go and nobody else was there and he backed up waved at me and away he went so he always, just in your case of your story, he always took the extra time to feel every, make everybody feel like he was no better than them. They were the same. They loved golf. He loves golf. It just so happens that he was extremely good at it, had the charisma and the magnet, magnet, magnet to people that wanted to be around him and wanted to be like him. And a uh, great rivalry with Jack Nicholas and kind of got golf going, and um, now it's one of the most popular sports and one of the coolest things to do. And he's been a lot to Wake Forest, too, as have you. Uh, I'm appreciative of your time, Coach Haas. He's on Twitter at JerryHaas16. But uh, we'll, we hope that things are going to get restarted uh, when the athletic year is set to start again this fall. And um, I hope we're talking about your Demon Deacons being able to compete undeterred. It, the time is uh, appreciated, and I hope that you're well and safe. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much. I listen to you all the time. I, uh, I've always not really been a talk radio guy until the, the COVID, I guess, and I've started listening more, and I appreciate uh, all you do for sports and the, and the triad as well. So have a wonderful day and stay safe. That's terrific. Thanks for the call and appreciate the nice words. That is Jerry Haas, the head coach of Demon Deacon Golf, I want to get to maybe the best sound I heard this weekend. Best sound I heard this weekend. And it comes from the world of wrestling. This sound you're about to hear comes... I think this is from the documentary that's been done on The Taker, right? Like uh, they have this series that's come out? Yeah, The Last Ride. Yeah, The Last Ride. This is the final episode. Final episode. And this is The Undertaker as he's sitting... Uh, in an arena, and he's just balling up a piece of paper and shooting it at a trash can. What's going to happen, Kobe? Uh... It was subtle. Let me play that one more time. Very subtle. 
shooting at the trash can. What's he say? What's going to happen, Kobe? I think everybody of a certain age, and I wouldn't have guessed, Taker at his age would think to shoot at the trash can and to say Kobe. I think this is from like uh, early 2000s footage because he still has a lot of hair. He looks uh, like he's in Ministry of Darkness gear. So that would be like circa 2000s. But yeah, Taker, he's the best. Do you still say Kobe when you shoot at the trash can? Honestly, I haven't said anything in a long time when shooting at the trash can, but I would never say any other name if I did. Actually, there was one other name I said other than Kobe. There was a time I would say, Hibachi! Because Gilbert Arenas, at that time, like a dozen years ago, I thought it was funny that during games, Arenas would attempt shots and say, Hibachi! That's an actual thing. I don't know if you can find stories on it now. A dozen years ago, this is pre-Guns in the Locker Room, Agent Zero. Uh, Hibachi, shooting at trash cans, shooting in games. Gilbert Arenas. So there, there was a time I used to do that, but now, now it's Kobe. Heck, that even led to a Chappelle show bit, right? Where, <laughs> what if we did that for more athletes, and it shows somebody committing crimes... Being like, OJ! Or somebody in a car with a ton of smoke in it and saying whatever athlete at that time was busted on drug charges. Shooting at the trash can. Undertaker saying, Kobe. All right. I'll dispel the three big negative narratives surrounding Teddy Bridgewater. Next on the drop. Introducing the world's greatest entertainer, the hardest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show, Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I might want to revisit potential kickers and/or punters. I might be able to take in a fight. Like I'm still in my prime athletically, even though I don't look like it, Robert. Picked up some pounds the last few months. The reason I'm thinking about this, apparently in South Dakota, bars are open. Open enough for Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard to go into uh, it, what seems like an old school Western saloon, but in a bar at 1 o'clock in the morning, get sucker punched in the face. So much so that Goddard had to go to the hospital. Had me thinking, is there an NFL player I can take in a fight? I thought Sam Cook, the punter, not the singer, maybe I could take him out. Robert was suggesting ridiculous ones like Pat McAfee. No chance I could beat up Pat McAfee. Marquette King, are you kidding me? Paul tweets in here, how about former Panther Todd Sauerbrunn? Josh versus Sauerbrunn. My money's on Sauerbrunn. Of course your money's on Sauerbrunn. That guy got busted and kicked off the Panthers for steroids. What do you think he'd do to me? You kidding? So maybe we could go through more names because the ones you already sent to me, Phil Dawson's a no, pretty stocky. stocky. Robbie Gold, too young. I still think he's athletically more gifted than me. Justin Tucker, opera opera singers are more imposing than you might think. Mason Crosby's from Texas has a mean crew cut haircut. 
Don't want to deal with that. Marquette King, Todd Sauerbrunn, staying away. Right now, Sam Cook's the only one I look at and think, ah, all right, maybe, maybe. As we think about that, we're taking your calls, 336-777-1600. It's time for Let's Get Crazy. Hot takes are welcome and only hot takes. You should know the rules by now, even though we're doing this a little bit later than usual on a Monday. If you come in here and deliver a take we think's pretty hot. It's like office space where they have the jump to conclusions mat. This is the jump to conclusions mat for radio. This is the Planet Fitness no judgment zone for radio. We will not crush you if a take is really hot, but we will if it's not hot enough. And if you do come in here and deliver a face-searing, face-melting hot take, we'll reward you with this sound. I'll start. Teddy Bridgewater. He's going to do local Teddy Graham ads in the city of Charlotte and across the state of North Carolina. You need somebody to replace Cam. Luke Keekley, he's no longer doing commercials because he's retired, except for the Mayo Bowl, which was announced last week. They also need somebody to replace CPI as one of the title sponsors of the Panthers. How about Teddy Graham? Teddy Graham's going to be on the scoreboard, sponsoring the Red Zone, sponsoring the preseason broadcast. You're going to have players in Teddy Graham ads and the specific player, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, you know this story. Me and my brother, we kind of have this thing going back to when we were kids. First one of us to have a kid. Neither of us have kids. First one of us to have a boy is going to name the son Theodore. When did you guys come up with this? Uh, Maybe when we were 10 or 11. Do you think that maybe like letting your 10-year-old self, you, decide the name of your child is not a great idea? It's a good idea. Because Theodore, cool enough name where you can go as Theo and very uh, to-do settings. You could be just Theodore. Or if you're just hanging with your guys, it's Teddy. And the women are going to like it because it's Teddy Graham. Are you kidding me? His name's Teddy Graham. That's that's a guy I want to hang out with. Theodore Graham. What happens if you're like, maybe you're 36 when you have your kid and the company, Teddy Graham's, is out of business. So that by the time he's 18, nobody knows what the hell a Teddy Graham is. Well, that's fine too. People might still, I mean, it's still a good name then. You should, you, maybe you should name him like uh, Television or t- so he could be the, a Telegram. Or whoa, didn't even consider that. Or like sonogram, you got so much medical stuff you could look into. I would just think about maybe moving away from the Teddy aspect. Uh, Teddy Graham's cuter. I'm sorry, Robert. This is what I'm decided on. I, I hear you, man. Uh, okay, I got a quick one for you. Broccoli is far and away the best bre- uh, vegetable. Whoa. Whoa. What do you got? What is there? You can add broccoli. You can have broccoli with steaks. You can add it to pasta. You can cut it up and just have the fruits or of the, the flowers in the end and put it in broccoli and cheddar soup. You're like, Josh is looking up vegetables right now because I'm he can't think of vegetables. <laughs> I'm looking up a specific dish that I can counter with your steamed broccoli, I imagine. Well, I mean, any broccoli. I'm saying just broccoli as a Carrots. whole. Carrots. 
I love, like, as a replacement for french fries, cutting up a carrot and roasting that with some seasoning on it. I think you could do everything that a broccoli can, but better. Give okay. me carrots. Yeah, so where where is the carrot soup? Or, I, I don't know, dude. You, you just pulled this out of your butt. Carrots, no way. Get out of here. Not even close. But I'll say it again. Broccoli is the best vegetable. Sorry I judged your take. It's okay. It happens. This weekend, as I've been doing the last few months because I've had no sports to consume late at night, I've been watching a lot of movies. I'm almost through the entire 30 for 30 library, and that's not a joke. There's a lot more than 30. Silence of the Lambs is long overdue for a remake. Here are some of the people that could replace some of the key roles. You let me know if any of these sounds decent or palatable. Instead of having Jodie Foster return in the remake, it just doesn't make sense for someone who's trying to entry level get into the FBI. How do you feel? And Robert, you've seen Silence of the Lambs, right? For sure. And have you seen the movies after Silence of the Lambs? I act like those don't exist. Okay, well, maybe Hannibal that would help was pretty you. bad. I mean, I'm talking about a remake. Well, I, uh, okay, okay. So, like, Kristen Stewart playing Jodie Foster's character. I can see it. Oh, uh, I can see it, but do I want it? Rebecca Hall, for example. I watched The Town. I also watched, uh, what else was she in? Oh, Frost Nixon. I'm a big fan of hers. Felicity Jones. I don't know. Is she actually British? Can she, she could stifle the accent maybe and and play the role that uh, that uh, was held by Jodie Foster. How about Hannibal Lecter? Are you going to replace him with a woman? You're doing like the Ghostbusters thing here? No. <laughs> I was thinking maybe Edward Norton. He would be, he would be good. How about Gary Oldman? Ooh. Or how about this? As his final great role, Jack Nicholson. Oh, man, Jack. Jack Nicholson playing Hannibal Lecter. Maybe we're asking the wrong question here. We're talking about Foster and Lecter or, uh, and uh, who's going to replace that those roles. What about who plays um, the Buffalo serial killer, Bill. Buffalo Bill? Who plays him as he's dancing there oh, Jim with everything Carey. tucked? Bring Jim in. Jim Carrey. Oh, he would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Wow. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. Jim Carrey. Oh, that's tremendous. Who else would qualify for that role? Got to be a little crazy, a little strung out. Maybe Al Pacino? Oh, yeah. What about uh, Lethal Weapon? Put the lotion <laughs> on the skin. Gary Busey. He, he would just oh, be so no, certifiably crazy. <laughs> Who do we got? John and Winston Salem. John and Winston Salem. Let's get crazy, John. Dak Prescott will be the New England Patriots starting quarterback next year. Whoa! That's as hot as it gets. That's pretty damn hot. I'm trying to think of actors who potentially could play. <laughs> Buffalo Bill. Josh is like, thanks for that hot take. <laughs> Back to Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bill. I'm still thinking about this, man. I mean, he's in the same division as the Patriots, so it's it works out. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, like, there are actors who certifiably can't play that role. 
Like, Ooh. could you imagine Tom Hanks playing Buffalo Bill? Oh, my God. Actually, there are some noteworthy famous actors, like Brad Pitt playing Buffalo Bill. I think Joaquin Phoenix would be really too good, good looking too. though. You think so? I Joaquin mean, just, Phoenix. Okay, I thought you were talking about Bray no, Joaquin. No. I was like, well, Brad Pitt's okay, but Joaquin Phoenix is too attractive. Joaquin Phoenix would be excellent. Oh, stay with me here. What if we got a skinny Jonah Hill to play Buffalo Bill? Because his body already, when he gets skinny, looks dilapidated, like run down, similar to Bill's. Paul Rudd's too nice. Way too... Oh, yeah, for sure. Cruz could do it. I wouldn't argue with that. Cruz could do it. I like this idea of a of a remade Silence of the Lambs. I, I do not like that idea, but I'm here for guest booking on, uh, on this movie. Yeah, casting. Robert, what do you got? Uh... Undertaker needs to take his rightful spot as the greatest professional wrestler of all time. And I'll say it like this. He made more money in his whole career than the guy who's made the most money in wrestling, Stone Cold, aside from Vince McMahon. He's a nicer guy backstage and has done more for the business than Hulk Hogan has. And he has elevated any championship he's ever held more than Ric Flair, who held them 16 times, which is the most in uh, WWE history. So I will say Undertaker, not one of, the best wrestler of all time, and that's coming from a Stone Cold fan. All right, let's close things out. Robert, what do you got for me? One more. Sprinkles are a waste of time at the ice cream parlor. Whoa! Throw them away. I love sprinkles. They they add nothing in terms of flavor. They are all about aesthetic. You just want your ice cream aesthetic to look pretty? Aesthetic is important. What, when eating? No way. I mean, maybe plating, but I think if you really taste a sprinkle, they do not like taste the good. wedding cakes don't have to taste good. They just have to look good. Oh, my aesthetic, God. Aesthetic if is If you went to a desserts. wedding where the ta- cake tasted bad, that that's all the old hens in the back of the room would Robert, say. Robert, let's fight. Wait, right now? Let's get after it. Are you kidding me? Look. Are you kidding me? I, I'm not kidding you. Dessert aesthetic is half the battle with dessert. No, okay. Like, so you're going to add something that makes okay. it taste these worse? These restaurants, Robert, that give you the birthday cake or give you like the brownie that has the Hershey on top or the Hershey's bar that's melted on top of the ice cream, it has to look good. They like, also it taste, really taste good. You know what? Sometimes they don't. Sprinkles but don't taste good. Oh my God. It's got to look good. It's got to look good. Look good, taste good. Ice cream looks just fine without sprinkles. That's like telling your girl, oh, man, you need to get these tattoos on your body. They're going to make you look so much better. Oh, when my. all reality, you know what? they don't. You know what, Robert? We're just going to have to disagree on this That's one, fine. okay? That's cool. We'll, we'll, we'll get after you it. You get sprinkles on your ice cream, and I'll eat them non-jimmied. How about that? Cash me outside. How about that? How about that? Let's talk about punters I potentially could take out. I know I could take your ass out. <laughs> Do you not have any more hot takes? No, I'm out. Here, here's my hot take. Josh cannot be any punter that has or will ever, even currently, even babies that will you punt. Better, you the, better shut up right now. You think I'm kidding. I've pulled some more names. Oh, did you? Yes. You pulled more names? I did pull some more names. I beat Jeff Fiegel's ass. Jeff Fiegel? You're going to pull Jeff Fiegel out on me? Yeah, Ray Guy. Oh. Ray Guy's still alive. <laughs> Ray Guy is still kicking. I'll Wait, f- I'll I, fight an old man. I don't think he's kicking. He's 70. He, I mean, he could probably still kick your ass. Darn right.
All right. Who do we got? Because right now the short list is Sam Cook. That's the only kick. That's the only punter or kicker I can fight and think I can beat. All right, we're gonna start with a wild man, Thomas Morstead. No, very hairy. I feel like even if you went to punch him, you would like breathe and then just suck some of his hair in your hair mouth. Hair is something to avoid. Staying away from Thomas Morstead. Uh, I can never pronounce this guy's last name. Uh, Tim Masthay. No he, idea. Who he's that a is. ginger. Look him up. It's uh, last name is M A S. T-H-A-Y. That's the only reason I put him on this list. He is a fellow redhead to us. I don't use the term ginger derogatorily. He's very skinny. He went to Kentucky. He went to Kentucky, and we all know that we could beat anybody in Kentucky's ass. He's from Pittsburgh. Which also... I'm going to pass. You're going to pass. Redheads are crazy, man. Pittsburgh's tough. And Kentucky, they're always ready to fight. How about uh, former Appalachian State punter slash kicker Sam Martin? Who are these people? I, are, are, do they actually punt for teams? Yeah, he's a kicker or punter for the Lions, I believe. He's now with the Denver Broncos, okay. according to what I'm looking at. With the Broncos now. Hell, I knew he was in the league. Don't, don't try to act like you're big league and me with the, with the Broncos. Anyway, can you beat his ass? <laughs> this is a new segment we're trying out called, Could Josh Beat This Ass? <laughs> You know, I, I'll take Sam Martin. You'll take him? I'll take him. Let's get him on the show, right, man. We can get Sam Martin on the show. I think <laughs> I think I actually want to be hard at all. Around the same age. Born in 90. I could take this guy. Is he from North Carolina, too? He's from, uh, he's he's from little, Fayetteville, nah, Georgia. He's, he's 6'1", 212. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> he's, I'll pass. I, I just saw the height and weight. I, I'll stay away. Uh, Anybody else you're going to throw at me? Uh, last one. How about Steve Weatherford? Used to punt for the Giants. What's the height and weight parameters here? Uh, I don't know, but he was also on the cover of Muscle and Fitness once. He's 6'2", 210, and he is just absolutely I mean, real. You honestly think. <laughs> I know you pulled Weatherford for that reason, because he's <laughs> jacked. I just want maybe someone who knows one of these guys to hear this, and then we could get like a charity boxing thing going out of this. I'm looking around. Jeff Feagles. <laughs> Where I could. Where you even think of Jeff Feagles Well, his son went to Carolina. Didn't go that well for him. All these punters are big dudes now. They're a lot bigger. I guess McAfee was right after all that punters are football players too. People too, man. How big is Shane Leckler? <laughs> You're still trying to figure this out. I, I mean, I went to a game where Matt Bosher decked um, the kick returner, I forget his name. He was out of Oregon. Been with the Panthers multiple times. Running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shoot. Isn't this a funny thing? Me and you can talk about sports all day and just recall the weirdest names, and then we get on air, and it's like, yeah, who is this guy again? We're thinking about, oh, boy, Kenyon Barner. Yeah, thank you. Kenyon Barner. He's with he him. got decked by Matt Basher, and... After the game ended, I remember Tori Smith was playing with uh, Kenyon Barner's daughter, who's very young, and he said, come over here. Come over here. I'm not Matt Bosher. Yeah. <laughs> Tori. Right after the game. Right after the game where he's trending. He's on the internet. He just got decked by a punter. Come over here. I'm not Matt Bosher. <laughs> That's so, rough. Matt, Matt Bosher is not on the list of guys I want to square with. 
Neither is John Ryan. Eh, I'll stay away. What's Dave Zastadil doing now? <laughs> You're just gonna keep bringing. I'll bring up old like these are Nickelback Where's punters. Like we're Sean talking about Landetta John- at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad was friends with Sean Landetta. Really? Yeah, Does anybody know where uh, Sav Rocca is? <laughs> Did he get- What's Brad Norton doing right now? <laughs> yeah, like, you know? what are the, what's the weirdest punter I could think? Uh, of? I'm trying to find small ones because none of these guys are small. You know what? I found him. I found the punter I can beat. Easy. Who is it? Brian Mormon. Oh, yeah. Oh, six foot 175. The dude's like 93, too. Yeah, he's 44. I could kick (laughs) Brian Mormon's ass. I'm going to tag him in a tweet. Do it. With this audio. Yeah. You want this smoke? Brian Mormon. Let me find out. Let me find out more about Brian Mormon. Mm. He's from Wichita. I've been to Wichita. Oh, my God. Wichita. Wichita, Kansas. Shocker. Oh, yeah. Shocker. Wichita, Kansas. With the Pittsburgh State, whatever the hell that is. You got an extra O in your name, but Josh is about to give you an extra L. We want that smoke. All right, what do we got in Ticket to the House today? You want some OJ, but without the orange juice? That's next on The Drive.